Hi, y'all. You're listening to Ordinary People, Ordinary Things with me, your host, Melissa Radke, the ordinariest of us all. Hey guys, and welcome to Ordinary People, Ordinary Things. It's your favorite couple on the internet. I'm kidding. As long as Brad and Jen keep meeting each other at award shows, we'll never be America's favorite couple, David. But I'm here with David to answer some of your listener questions. If you follow us online and if you listen to our morning show, Rise and Radke, which if you don't, what are you doing? How could your mornings be any good without watching that show? Then you know we invited you to call in with some of your questions. Now, this is something new we're trying, and I can already tell you, I love it. Hearing from you guys was so cool, and so I want to do it again, and I think you'll like to know that for those who wanted to remain anonymous, they got to remain anonymous. That's right. I'm true to my word. For those who shared their name, we shared their name. So this creates trust that you know you can call us and leave us your most vulnerable questions, and we aren't going to laugh. We aren't going to share it with anyone on the internet. It's sacred to us, and honestly. We just appreciate you entrusting us with your marriages and your kids and your finances and your dreams and all the things that we'll be talking about on future episodes of this podcast. So the last couple of weeks have been dedicated to something that I just cannot wrap my mind around, and that is being still, organizing, decluttering, not just our homes, but our hearts, taking a time out, creating rest, creating space, putting our phone away, all of these things that the last several weeks of guests have been suggesting we do. And here's what's funny to me. When I go back to 1994, the year that David and I got married, and had you told me there will come a day when you will try to have an important conversation with David Radke, and he will not only check his phone for texts during your conversation, but you, Melissa, will check your watch for incoming calls and texts, I would have laughed you out of house and home. Am I right, David? You are right. You've been sitting over there quiet the whole time. You ready for this? Yeah. I always expect you to give me like a big introduction, but I guess that's long gone. We literally passed that probably 17 years ago. We weren't even doing podcasts. (laughs) But seriously, think about 1994. Had you told me that I'll be getting a call on my watch, I would have thought you were crazy. No. And I had a cell phone in 1994 for a business that I had that that cell phone bill almost took the entire business under. It was so expensive. <laughs> you had a cell phone in 1994? Uh-huh. David, no, you did not. Well, no, actually, I got my cell phone. That would have been in 92, 92. Okay. Well, first of all, we have to stop talking about it. And you know why? Because if my dad listens to this podcast, he's going to text me immediately and say, do you remember when I had a cell phone, Melissa? I had a cell phone in 1992. In all fairness, he did not have a cell phone. He had a mobile phone. He had a bag phone. A bag phone. (laughs) And he let my friends and I in his car one Friday night and we used it. We called Arsenio Hall three times and left messages (laughs) on the Arsenio Hall show. My dad said that his phone bill that month was more than his mortgage. He's never let me forget it. But anyway, here we are. And we're having to learn how to create space and balance in a new way that honestly, we didn't have to learn or even know about in the 90s. And I suppose we could have come on today's episode and not taken your questions, but instead sat and talked at you as opposed to with you, told you all the ways that we had it figured out, told you all the things that we did for our marriage for it to be so successful, told you what you should be doing because it's what we do. But who in the heck would believe us? I mean, who in the heck are we? We're just like you. We are also navigating a 
new technological world that we didn't live in even 15 years ago. And we are navigating it with children and with schedules and careers, all while trying to balance our bank accounts, save for college and have sex. I'm so tired, David. (laughs) I want to get right to our questions. But before I do, let me say thank you for trusting us with your questions. Even though, you know, we don't have all the answers, but here's what we do have going for us. You want to know? Here's what David Radke and I have going for us. We love each other very, very much. And we are in this marriage for the long haul. We ain't going anywhere. And we try really hard on our marriage. We work on our marriage. We work on it all the time. And there is nothing that you are going through in your marriage. Listen to me. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Except maybe like hardcore Colombian drug smuggling. That's pretty much the only thing we ain't dealt with. Everything we've gone through as well. But when you love something, you're willing to work for it. So here we are. I just want to say that, you know, if people are tuning in, hoping that this will be comparable to if Dr. Phil sat down with Mel Robbins and answered their questions, they need to lower their expectations. <laughs> but First of all, why would Dr. Phil sit down with Mel Robbins and not Robin McGraw? Well, I was thinking of another self-help, kind self-help of counselor type person. But you said we are not going to have all the answers, but one, we've probably got some funny stories. I haven't seen the questions, but I bet we have some funny stories. But number two, I think sometimes just asking the question or talking about the question or hearing somebody else talk about the question, you at least feel less alone. And so I think that's even part of a good process in the whole. Absolutely. I mean, you know my feelings on Dr. Phil. Literally, I'm looking at him right now. Because there's a sticker of him on my flask, my hydro flask full of water. Everybody calm down. And I'm looking at him right now. This show is less Dr. Phil and more high school musical. We're all in this together. Da 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 da. da. Okay. Um, I thought you were going to say uh, Mark Povich. <laughs> okay, don't do that where you talk with your radio voice. It's not attractive and you know. I thought you were going to say Mark Povich. Someone in Vista, California left this message. It's not really a question. It's a comment. But I specifically want to play it for you, David Radke, to listen to and give me your thoughts. Here we go. Hi, Melissa and David. I just want to tell you I love your show. For myself and my husband, next month we will be married 35 years. And for me, the only way I could keep balance in my life, especially when my kids were young, now they're 36 and 33, I had to go away with him by myself for every three to four months at a minimum for the weekend, two nights, three nights. I had to reconnect because life was so busy. So that to me is my number one advice to any married couple. Thank you for everything you guys do. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Hmm, Mr. Radke, hmm. shall I let hmm. you go hmm. first? Let's talk about the fact that her and her husband would go away. For a weekend, every three to four months. What do you have to say to that? Well, I'm going to guess. She said they've been married 35 years, so they're probably a little bit older. Their kids may be a little bit older. Um, That is a big challenge to get away just us two that often. (sighs) No, I'm making that sound because you know for a fact it has nothing to do with the kids. That's not true. We are so blessed. We live in a town with grandparents. 
that would be happy to take them. Who doesn't love our kids? People be fighting over who got to babysit them. Uh David, you won't do it because you're on such a tight budget. (laughs) No. And you know what? Now that I come to think about it, we go out of town together at least once or twice a month. Don't do that. But we do. Do It's just us. It's in other towns. We're eating in hotels and restaurants. Did you just say it's just us? It's with Rocco's traveling baseball team. I wasn't talking about travel. I was talking like when you go to speak places or we're going oh, to okay. New York Oh, okay. So listeners, essentially what we've just had is either we can go out of town, but it will be with 13, 11-year-olds, or we'll go out of town, Melissa, if you promise to work. <laughs> so there you have I it. I wasn't talking about the baseball tournaments. I was talking about. You know what, Vista, California, thank you for your comment and good for you, lady. <laughs> but it ain't happening here. All right, so let's move on seriously to some people who have some questions. Let's listen to this next question from Sarah that came in and actually raises more than one question. I want to see if you know what the two questions are that I will have for you. Here we go. Hey, Melissa. Um, I guess my question is how to get a guilt-free girls' night. Um, My husband doesn't have any friends, and so therefore he doesn't do anything unless it's with me. And he always makes me feel so guilty if I want to go hang out with friends or go hang out with my sister. So, yeah, thanks. I can't wait to hear the podcast. And I love you. Bye. All righty. Thank you so much for your question. David, what are the two questions that were raised out of that for me? There weren't two questions. A question ends with like a question mark. So you can tell with the the tone, how do I get a guilt-free girl's night? Okay. What was the other point that Sarah made that I was like, hmm? That her husband loves her and would rather spend time with her Wrong. than a bunch of bums in a bar. No, here's the deal. It's that she said her husband doesn't have any friends and he doesn't go out and do anything. And that is literally, Sarah, you are singing the song of 90% of women. For those of you who are listening to this and you're married and your spouse has a ton of friends and goes out a lot with his buddies, congratulations. That is the exception, not the norm. Is that the way I say that, Dave? Yeah. Okay. That's not the norm. I think it's wonderful. David has got a lot of acquaintances, but none that he wants to spend any time with apart from me. And it drives me up a wall. Now, some of you are listening and like, I think that's precious. But I think what Sarah is saying here is that she has a lot of guilt going out because he just doesn't. He wants to be with her all the time. And she said this a little bit under her breath, but it's something that I picked up on. She said, and he makes me feel guilty. So, David, from a man's point of view, address that, and then I'll go, but you go ahead. Well, I think there's two different kind of guilts. And one, you may have mentioned, if I'm going to stay home and watch a ball game or hang out with kids or whatever, you may feel guilty if you're going off with your girlfriends and I'm not doing anything or I haven't done anything or whatever. But then there's another guilt, which she kind of touches on, is that he kind of puts some guilt on her or some shame or whatever the best way to phrase it is. And I would just challenge him to kind of have a different perspective. I absolutely would rather spend time with you than anybody else. We like to watch the same things, do the same things. Go be together. The, yeah, we just like to be together. So I totally get that. But what I've had to learn, and it's not just come overnight, that one of the ways that you recharge is either spending time by yourself or by spending time with other people, specifically girlfriends. So that you kind of recharge. And so when I get you back, you're kind of refreshed. And to be honest, she didn't say her husband's name, did she? She probably didn't throw him under the bus, but I'm going to say Charles. Okay. So I'm going to speak to Charles. Charles, if you're just loving on her and taking care of her, when she goes out with the girlfriends, she's going to talk good about you. 
they're going to talk bad about their husbands. And when she gets home, you might get lucky. Oh, my God. It's all going to come back to that, ain't it, David? I kind of knew that you would say one of those things. The get lucky part? (laughs) Yeah. Sarah, let me tell you something. When David and I got married, David was the youngest son of parents who were much older. And so David's parents didn't go out a lot. And David grew up in a town, not near a bunch of relatives, cousins and stuff like that. So when he married into my family and I enjoyed being with my aunt and my mama and my granny and my cousins, he didn't understand that. And he was extremely jealous of my time. The first couple of years of our marriage, that was a real issue. That has changed because every single time that David finds that I'm away with the girls, that I'm off having fun, I'm better for it. And David loves to see that. He also has seen that over the years, we've had some real hardships and difficulties in our marriage. And David trusts that when I share my heart about my marriage, when I need someone to talk to, that I share it with someone. I have one particular girlfriend. David could name her right now. I go deep with her. I can share these things with her. It's not going anywhere with her. She is a wonderful sounding board. She is a fan of David's. She loves David. She roots for David. So when I come to her and I say, we're having this difficulty, I want to kill him. She fights for my marriage and she fights. She's an advocate for us. And that has shown itself to be a good thing in our marriage. And so, you know, he's got to realize that. And that is definitely a difficult thing. I don't think you should go out with guilt. I don't. Whether he's throwing a hissy fit or not, I think that you should still have those moments that are for you, that are with your girlfriends and with your sister, and you should enjoy those moments. Just make sure that when you come back home, that you give him love and honor and respect. You tell him thanks for letting you go out and having a great time. And for those of you women who are going, don't you dare thank him for letting her leave the house. You know what? It's okay to be nice. Am I wrong? Just be nice and say, Hey, thanks. That was a really great time. Thanks for just hanging out here at the house and holding down the fort. And I'm not saying, and then when you get home, you're going to want to lay on the ground and let him walk all over you like a rut. I'm not saying that. Just saying, be nice to him. I would say too, and you know, we just have this little snippet of the question that she has, but make sure you're having those moments of communication about how important it is. Don't just, you know, the question may be coming after multiple times of trying to have those conversations to no avail. But make sure that you're having those conversations and saying, I really need this. I need this for me. I need this for us. And and don't discount helping him find a hobby. You know what I mean? And absolutely. Men are children. When you say (laughs) thank you when you get home, that makes us feel good. It makes us feel better. So, I mean, it's not a women's right thing. I got to thank him for letting me go anywhere. It's not that at all. It's totally just to be manipulative. So he'll let you do it again. (laughs) Glad you said it, not me. Okay, moving on. I love this vulnerable question from sweet Selena. Let's listen to what she has to say. Hi, my name is Selena, and I am the adoptive mother of a special needs child. My husband and I have really not necessarily struggled, but it has definitely been a challenge to find a balance for the last 10 years in how we parent our child. And now that he's been an adult for a couple of years, he's now 21, um, how we start beginning to draw those um, lines in the sand because he's 
fully functioning. He's, uh, he's not handicapped or anything like that. He has an intellectual disability. And I'm really struggling with drawing those lines in the sand and sort of pushing him out of the nest, <laughs> I guess. Um, so I'm just wondering, at what point do we say, okay, you're ready. It's time to go. Because I'm really struggling with that. Yeah. So thanks. Bye. Selena, thank you for that precious question. I could hear her voice. Did you hear it? Mm -hmm. Like at the end, just kind of catch, like maybe she was tearing up and I could feel that for her. I think, Selena, that you're addressing a question every single mom on earth has. Yours is maybe just a tad more complicated because it does involve a child who has some learning difficulties. And, you know, Selena, I'll be the first, even I both will be the first to tell you that we have absolutely no experience in this arena. And we're probably not even the best people to ask, to be totally honest. I not only don't know the path that you've walked as the mother of a special needs child, but I also haven't come to the season of releasing our children out into the world. So I'm really, you and I both, Dave, we're at kind of a double deficit here. But do you have anything to say to her? I do have something to say, but I don't want to. Yeah, I, I wish that I had more to say or that we had more experience that we could share. Because we can't in, in both of those aspects of, like you mentioned, having a child about to leave the home or leave the nest or a child with special needs. And so it's kind of a difficult topic because we don't have that point of reference. But I think every situation and every child, every relationship is going to be very different. I think seeking counsel for people that have expertise, maybe even know you or the child to kind of give some true insight to that very specific situation because every single child is going to be different in when they should be pushed or when they need to be held, so to speak, and those kind of things. And so I think it's a very hands-on individual approach that needs to be taken. That's good. You know, it was, it reminded me of when I was growing up and our pastor would preach on parenting a lot and he had two German shepherds. <laughs> and I can remember like my parents loved him dearly, but they would get in the car and they'd be like, what is he doing? Preach on sin or faithfulness or tithing, but don't tell me how to raise a kid. You got two German shepherds in your backyard. It's all you got. So I'm not going to be an idiot and tell you exactly what to do here. But I do want to point out two things that I feel like I picked up on a little bit in your question. It seems to me that this might be a situation where you have dealt with this for so many years that perhaps you and your husband are a little off balance in just maybe how to be alone, or how to make time for one another, how to do that when not caring for this child or not picking up after this child or not answering for this child or not overcompensating for this child, right? And so sometimes our marriages can get a little bit thrown off. This is not because of your child's difficulties or disabilities. This is the song and dance of every mother that I know. I sat with one last night. As a matter of fact, at dinner, last one graduated, went off to college, and she said, I love my husband, I do, but we're having to recreate some things that we just didn't make time for for many, many years. And she said, and I don't feel necessary anymore. And I wonder if that too is a little bit of something that's in your heart. Will I be necessary? Will I be needed? What will I do after he leaves the nest? Just something to think about there for you and your husband, different ways that you could reconnect and get on the same page and be romantic and be communicative with each other. And then I'm going to tell you this really silly analogy, but just love me through it. Okay. 
the last couple of weeks, we have gotten in the habit of when we go to my daughter's basketball games, we'll sit kind of behind her team and I'll listen to the coaches when they're coaching the girls and I'll listen to what they say to them between the timeouts or whatever. And I heard the coach say this one week to one of the girls, rebound, rebound. Your only job is to rebound. It's to catch the ball. I don't need you bringing the ball down. Thank you for offering. I don't need you to do that. I need you under the goal. Now, look, somebody's going to write me and tell me how it isn't our responsibility to catch our children and that we must let them stumble occasionally and yada, yada, yada. You don't think I know this? You know it too, right, Selena? But listen to me. You've raised him to do for himself. We don't need you carrying the ball down anymore. You're there to catch. It's a new season. You're on a whole new team. You've been given a new position. Your job is to stay under the goal were he to need you. Your job is now to catch. That's your job. And I know you're going to kill it. And of course, don't ever take God out of the equation. That we can ask for help. That we can ask for guidance. That we can lean on him in these times. Don't ever take him out of the equation. Okay? That was a really beautiful reference. And I have never been more turned on that you used a sports (laughs) reference. David! I was really having a moment. It was a really good moment. Did it make sense? It absolutely Because sometimes you look at me across the table and when we're at dinner with friends and you're like, oh, that didn't work. That analogy didn't work. I got nervous when you said that the coach talks to him between. I'm like, oh, oh, what's she going to say? Don't say period. Don't say, you know, inning. Don't say, you know. But you did. You said time out. You did good. Thank you, David. Very proud. I'm so glad that you're turned on. Speaking of turn on, here's Ellen's question. Hey, Melissa. My name is Ellen. And my question is, how do you schedule sex into your life, especially when you're opposite people? He's a night owl. I'm not. And I work for very long hours. Thanks. Bye. My dearest Ellen, have you been under some kind of spell that makes you think that men only want to have sex at night? (laughs) Silly, silly, precious Ellen. Men only want to have sex two times during the day. If the sun's up or if the sun's down. Okay. Well, see, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, Ellen, he going to do it with you at 4 a.m. He'll do it with you just before lunch or at 5 p.m. when you get home. It doesn't matter. David, you want to take this in? Uh, wow. I just, yeah. But seriously, take her question seriously because we're, we're, we're teasing you, Ellen. We're giving you a hard time. But in truth, what do you do when you literally are passing each other in the halls? You're working completely different schedules. So he gets home. He's up, you know, raring to go. You know, not literally, but maybe at nine o'clock, she's just worked a 14 hour shift. She's dead dog tired. That is pretty difficult. I would say as far as the scheduling goes, because, you know, men are kind of ready in and out of season. (laughs) I would pick something that is more doable for her. In your example, at the end of a 14 hour shift, she may be tired and it may be stressful and that may be a great time for her. Or she may be like, don't touch me. I'm stressed out. I just want to go take a hot bath or whatever. So whenever you find, you know, it's the best time for you, Ellen, then use that time. And I feel certain he will adjust his clock. Exactly. I was going to say there is a word that I want to give you, Ellen, and it's a really powerful word. We don't use it enough, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to throw it out here for you. And the word is intentional. There's something romantic, there's something life-giving to a partner when the other partner is intentional. Yeah, 
you're probably exhausted Monday through Friday. You maybe can hammer one out, Ellen, one time a week. But be intentional with that. And you might can only do it once a month. I don't know. I feel like we are encroaching now on some territory. But Ellen, I'm just saying to you, be intentional with those moments. Make advances to him. Let him know he's desired. Love him. Treat him accordingly. In all seriousness, this is an issue for a lot of people, Ellen. You are not alone. And I guess it just goes back to, you know, this is a question that David and I ask a lot in our marriage, which is what will I do for my spouse? How can I outserve my spouse? And maybe for you, it's staying up later one night. Maybe for you, it's initiating. Maybe for you, it's scheduling time. Maybe for you, it's doing something romantic that might can lead to that. But I love the word intentional, especially when it comes into marriage, because we are so unintentional in avoiding our spouse. We don't mean to. We're so unintentional in not communicating with our spouse. We don't mean to. We just got, we got busy. We got tired. We got stressed, right? We got pulled in a million different directions. And all those things happen unintentionally, but magic happens intentionally. And I would just say, look at your schedule and see if there are moments or pockets of time where you could be intentional with him. I would say men always, you know, the eyebrow goes up because it's just about sex. It's just about the act or I guess maybe the the last scene of the act. But, you know, it's more to that than than men as well. It is a closeness. It is an intimacy. It is a connection that you can't avoid. You can't push for too long and it not have some effect. So there needs to be, like you said, that intentional thing. And I don't know why this popped in my head. You know, on a dozen different sitcoms or whatever, they go, okay, if you're not married and I'm not married by the time we're 50, we're going to go get married or whatever. I remember they talked about that on Friends, at least. So maybe there's even a time you because, you know, being spontaneous, you know, that's always great. But maybe you do have, you know, kind of that last resort going, okay, if something doesn't come up by Friday at 11 o'clock, I'm going to meet you right here. So you have a, a backup. Does that make any sense at all? Where like we've talked and joked some about, you know, Tuesday nights at 1030. That's our time. But well, it is our time. <laughs> so if schedule works, then just put it down. Or if not, I want to be more spontaneous than that. I don't want to just go, I am here for our appointment. <laughs> you know, have maybe that backup of just going, OK, you know, I want us to be together sometime this week. If we don't find the time, you know, something happens. If all else fails, I'll meet you here at this time. Right. Unless something comes up. No pun intended. Thank you for listening to Ordinary People, Ordinary Things. Please take a second to subscribe and you could be eligible to win something. I mean, you won't win anything here with us, but I'm willing to bet that somewhere in this big old world, you're eligible for something. Also, please leave a review, but only if you give us a good one and not if you're mad about that whole eligibility thing. I'm sorry. Okay. I love hearing from you guys online, so be sure and talk us up and share online. You can tag Ordinary People, Ordinary Things, so that I will not miss it. Thanks again for listening. For more info on today's show or to learn more about our guests, please go to OrdinaryPeopleOrdinaryThings.com or you can check out our show notes. Next, we have a question from Donna in Oklahoma, and here is what she asks. So my question is, how do we come to an agreement when it's time to talk about a problem? Dear God, can I just say anxiety, please? Anxiety, anxiety just takes over that entire, it was all I can do to just ask that question honestly. So if we don't communicate to begin with, how then do we communicate about a problem? Like, let's address the 
financial statement, those kind of things that we just aren't discussing on a regular basis. If you're yellers. Well, well, well. Donna just got a hold of my journal and read it out loud, didn't you, Donna? <laughs> Hi, Donna. My name is Melissa Radke, and I, too, am a yeller. So let's talk about this one. Because although we have not gotten it perfect, David Radke, we have gotten much, much better. And I want to address a couple of things that I picked up on in this call. She said it quickly. She said it fast. She moved right on from it. But she said, what do you do if you don't communicate at all? But then you got to communicate about the difficult things. The fact that you don't communicate at all, that's a red flag, baby. That's a problem. Now, here's the deal. David and I are firm believers in marriage counseling. We think you should find you a good counselor and you should invest in your marriage. But marriage counselors are a lot like chiropractors. You only go to them if there's a problem. And most of the time when there's a problem, a husband doesn't want to go to a marriage counselor because he knows he's going to be paraded in there and yelled at and screamed at and his dirty laundry is going to be aired out. So here is just a tip for everybody listening. Invest money in a marriage counselor now, not when you're engulfed in flames. Okay, not when you pulled your back out, not when he's now living in a Marriott. Now, when everything's calm, there's an old saying, dig your well before you need the water. Ooh, David, that's perfect for this. That's wonderful. That's a great way to get out what I'm saying. Go now. You have communication issues. It's okay to admit it. It's okay to admit it. We did too. And the only thing that helped us was a counselor in Franklin, Tennessee that we sat with for not just a year or six months, but like many years. And we learned how to work that out and we are better today. The other thing that I would suggest you do, and this is where people are going to go, oh, no, I'm not getting into all that stuff to read. I don't want to read anything. I don't want to. We learned recently about the Enneagram. This is not voodoo. This is not magic. Okay. It's not another personality test that you find at the back of Cosmo. This is a real thing. This is an internal GPS system for who you are and who he is. So I'm going to give you an example. Donna, at the beginning of 2020, just a couple of weeks ago, I knew that David and I had to have a come to Jesus meeting over some issues with my career and our finances and our kids. And I guess what I'm saying, all of it. We had to have a come to Jesus meeting about some things. And I knew that we have been known in the past for voices to get raised and him to go to the room and him to slam a door and me to get in the car and me to drive to Sonic and get a large dark pepper. This is how we deal with things. And I didn't want that to happen. So I thought to myself, what is his Enneagram number? And his Enneagram number is a three. And what does a three want more than anything? A three wants more than anything to know that he is worthy and that he is chosen and that he is loved and accepted. Even when he messes up, even when he doesn't always get it right, even when he's not good at something, that his worth and the way you love him is not based off of his performance. And I came at him from that angle. And when I did, we sat for, what, 45 minutes, an hour, and we talked about hard bleep. We talked about that, okay? It wasn't fun, but we got more done when I researched the man that I was dealing with so that I could talk to him and with him and not at him. And again, these are things that we learned in counseling sessions. So Dave, I'm going to let you because you're a man and she wants to hear from you for sure. But those are my takeaways on that because out of all the questions we've had, this is the most like us. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. And I don't want to reiterate everything you said, but now I'll reiterate everything you said. (laughs) 
you hit a great point is that it sounds like there may not be a ton of communication just in the day to day and the things that don't bring up arguments. So I do think before tackling, you know, the mountain, I think you need to go on a couple of, you know, nature walks. You need to build up some endurance. You need to kind of have those conversations. And then exactly like Melissa said, the Enneagram is relatively new to us, but we've really just kind of jumped off into it both individually as well as a couple. And you really start to learn about yourself and why you respond to things. You learn about your spouse or significant other, why they respond to things. And it helps you start understanding that just because Melissa does something, it may not be an attack or an offense against me. It may be the way she's wired. It may not have anything to do with me. But the way I'm wired, I took it as that. And then things start to escalate. But we're talking about the Enneagram here, David, because we've seen it work. We've put it into practice. We were skeptical, but we put it into practice. And I've seen it take instances where it would be like you and I were a bomb was going off. Okay. And instead, make it so small because we worked it. Oh, absolutely. So I would say the other two things that come to my mind that have been beneficial for us, kind of scheduling it. So instead of you've sat here all day going, the second he gets home, we're going to dive into talking about X, Y, and Z. Yeah, because she said anxiety builds up. So she may be sitting there all day going, okay, as soon as he comes home, we have to talk. I'm going to do this. And she's building this anxiety up. He comes in completely blindsided doesn't know, maybe he's had a difficult day or stressful day or any other. Or he feels attacked because men are like weird. Any <laughs> Or normal. Um, any number of things. So he comes in blindsided and immediately it's, okay, we're sitting down right now doing this. So for me, and I'm just speaking for me, it helps me a lot for us to go, hey, let's look at our schedule and when can we sit down this week? You know, we really have to talk about X, Y, Z. We're not diving into it right now, but when can we set a time aside? And it just starts to kind of prepare your mind and your thoughts and those kind of things. And I will say, because Melissa mentioned much, much more in the past, we can both be yellers, but we have not had to pat sheetrock in years. And And y'all think that's a joke? No, it's not. Literally. (laughs) David, is this not true? Every house we have lived in, except maybe this last one, we've had to patch up a hole in the wall. Yeah. We didn't even get our deposit on our first three like apartments when we were married. I don't think our last home in Tennessee we did either, but. David, that was the house that in the bathroom you told me I would absolutely kill you right now if my parents weren't in the living room. So, you know, there probably was a hole in the wall. I had just had neck surgery. I was on matters, all David. kind of medicine. Listen, <laughs> the last thing, this is a tool that actually uh, you talked about our marriage counselor in Tennessee that he taught us. And it has been so powerful for us. Both people have to honor and respect this in when this is done and how it's done and how to respect it. But a long time ago, if we're in this situation and I feel myself getting heated or Melissa feels her blood pressure rising, we will simply hold up one hand like a stop sign. Now, hear me. It's not like you used to see on the the 90s videos. Talk Talk to the hand. hand. I'm not talking about that. Like up next to your body, not theirs. But it's just like the stop sign symbol. And because it has never been abused, in in other words, just because we get into a little something, we don't throw it up. Just because it's pulled out only when it's really needed, when it's really escalating, then we have respected it. And we've said, you know what? Nothing good is going to happen from this point. We need to stop. We need to calm down and come back. Because what you don't want it to escalate past a certain point, because then it can get very 
loud or very volatile, or then things are going to be said that aren't, you don't even think those in a normal, clear mind. And so don't you think that the stop sign has been a big thing for us? Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be a stop sign. You know, ours is, that's what we chose. It could be anything, pick your own as a couple, but respect that. And I don't know, I hope that those little tidbits help that. This is our last call. This is from Jamie in California. And I want to end with this call right here. You ready? Listen to this. Hey, Melissa. Hey, David. This is Jamie calling from California. And I really appreciated your post. I truly believe that this is what happens. I don't know why, but I believe in January after the holidays. It's like drinking a soda and you get that high and then you get that low. And the holidays are big love, big work. And then after that, what happens? I think it's very real. And right now, if I was passing you in the hallway or another girlfriend, I would, I guess I would be raw and I would say, please talk me through this. I would net, this is not marriage breaking or marriage ending, but it is marriage hard. Jamie, thank you so much for calling in. I wish you knew how many people listening to the podcast right now, if they're driving in the car, they're riding on a train, they're on the treadmill, wherever they're at, that they just said, Oh my gosh, she just said how I feel. She just helped articulate that. And we go through these seasons where we do, we get fired up because it's cold outside and there's Christmas lights or it's a new year and a new beginning. And so we get these emotional things and we're going to change and things are going to get better. And then we kind of settle back into real life and the day to day. And so Melissa's already used this word, and you'll probably continue to hear us use this word because it's a very big word for us in 2020. But I think the biggest thing is to be intentional. Uh, It's intentional in your actions. It's intentional in those relationships. It's intentional in writing down what you want to see in those relationships, if it's marriage in particular, as we're talking about, or with kids or work, whatever. Write down What would you want people to say about this relationship? And then maybe write down what it is so you can see the gap there that you need to work on and then review that. Read it every day. What are my aspirations for this marriage versus what is the current reality of this marriage? And then kind of compare the two so you have something to aspire to. Because if we don't, if we're not intentional, all of us in relationships, in our professional lives, in personal lives, we will set toward the drift and we'll all of a sudden end up miles away. Babe, I love that you're getting emotional, but why? She's just not the only one. I told you if you started doing podcasts with me and you started doing morning shows with me, that you would fall in love with people and you would hear their heart and you would it would break for them. I told you <laughs> this was going to happen. It's on you. But we have a soft spot in our hearts. For marriages and relationships, engagements who are entering into this because it's been so freaking hard for us, but we've made it work. And you can too, Jamie. It's why I wanted to end with your call because I felt your call. I felt that when you said it's not marriage breaking. It's not marriage ending. It's just marriage hard. (laughs) And you said, and Melissa, if I was passing you in the hall and I, was just going to be raw and real with you. I would just tell you it's really hard. And I hear that. Listen, you guys, we are overworked, overscheduled, busier than ever, pulled at both ends and more strapped financially than probably any other time in history for marriages. It's true. 
But Jamie, I want to ask you this. I want to ask everyone listening this question. When you pull back the layers, when you pull back the layers of bills and businesses and babies, and when you get to the main thing, okay, when you make the main thing the main thing, I want you to ask yourself this, but am I going anywhere? I need you to answer that first. You know how many times I've looked in the mirror and I've said, but Melissa, are you going anywhere? And for many years, I would say, maybe, (laughs) probably. And then you have to rebuild a marriage on shaky ground. And that sucks. But now, no matter how low it gets, no matter how angry we get, I look in the mirror and I say, but are you going anywhere? And my answer is, no, I'm not. Because we can build anything and we can heal anything and we can face anything and we can try anything when we know that we're not leaving. And when he has looked me in the eye and said, I'm in, I'm all in. And so sometimes you just have to go back to that question. Maybe today didn't answer your specific question, but I'm willing to bet it did something else for you that you never saw coming. I'm willing to bet that today, after listening to these voices, when they laugh and when their little voices would break, I bet it made you feel a whole lot less alone, didn't it? And hey, if that's the best that David and I can give you, that's good enough for us. We love you all so much. Till next time.